to let that drop. <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt Push that. Out. You got to let yeah, that one let play that out. One drop, right? man. Everybody, everybody was waiting on their car like, I got to hope he lets it drop. Hope he lets it drop. <laughs> I'm going to turn us off and go turn that on and jam. Uh, all right. It is a Top of the Charts Tuesday. Uh, we play jams. I reached the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. My man Patrick, who usually is DJs, a Top of the Charts Tuesday. He is off uh, to uh, actually produce Texas basketball versus K-State. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up in the 6 o'clock. Shout out to my man Corey back there twisting and tweaking it out. Happy New Year, Corey. How you doing, brother? Hey, doing good, man. Happy New Year. Doing good. Happy New Year to you, man. And Happy New Year to each and every one of you out there listening. We appreciate uh, you uh, tuning in today. A solemn show, of course, talking about some uh, some very serious topics and uh, some of them, of course, uh, disturbing, but other, others sad. Uh, DeMar Hamlin, uh, whose vitals have uh, been restored. He is still in critical condition. So thoughts and prayers with DeMar Hamlin, who collapsed last night during Monday Night Football. The game was suspended. As a result, the NFL has announced that they will not uh, resume that game this week. Um, and there was no there's no plans to play no. that game at all this week. So whatever they're going to do about it, it will be something that waits till next week and hopefully by then we have better news about the status of uh, uh, Buffalo's DeMar Hamlin. Uh, also uh, celebrating the life and legacy of a legendary lifetime Longhorn coach Gus, 91 years old when he uh, passed away, was dealing with some health issues. Uh, so uh, I think the uh, most of the uh, the family are happy that now he is in a better place and not dealing with those health issues. Uh, but he left a great legacy here at the University of Texas. Really a great legacy. as one of the greatest baseball coaches uh, at the college level ever. Um, so we're also celebrating his life today. Did have a legendary lifetime Longhorn Brooks Kieschnick scheduled. We're going to get him back. promise you. Yep. He's dealing with some phone issues. But as soon as uh, we get that straight with him, we'll bring him on back uh, either today or later on this week or something yep. like that. Uh, also, uh, we want to get to the bowl games right now. We got Rod's round the day. Uh, Rod's round the day. Either I'll talk Texas football or something related to Texas football. I got a question here that if we get to it while we have some time reviewing the bowls, is Texas football related? If not, we'll get to that in Raj rant of the day. All right, uh, Haraj, let's start with the semifinal games. Let's start with the semifinal games. Then we'll kind of work our way out to some of the other games because yeah, we do got to talk about the Cotton Bowl, which was also <laughs> epic. Uh, yeah, yeah it, I'm with you. I don't know what the hell happened in that <laughs> game. And, I, you know, thank God for DVR because I started to tune out. <laughs> I tuned the game out. No, it was 45 30. I was like, all right, I'm going to start flipping, getting ready for some other stuff. And came back and was just flabbergasted at what I saw uh, from USC and, uh, and Tulane in that game. So we'll get to that coming up. But let's talk about the semis. And it might have been the best uh, two semifinal games we've ever had in the college football playoffs. Strong, strongly agree right? with you, sir. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, <clears throat> both of these games came down to the wire between Ohio State and Georgia. Uh, great late drama there. Uh, but TCU beating Michigan 51 to 45. Which one of these matchups you want to start with? We'll start with the TCU. Okay. Let's okay. start with TCU because, I mean, that's closer to home mm-hmm. for us. And, and everyone was not giving them a chance. And even on before we left, I kept saying, 
there's just something about that TCU team. Yeah. I was like, Damn right. I, I think they're going to go in there and fight. I, th- I thought the line was wrong when you started looking at it. I jumped all over that, and I took the over. So, I mean, it, it, it was there was something just about that matchup in the convincing way that the last two games that not only TCU played, but the last two games that Michigan played. That kind of had me thinking. I'm like, there's no way, no way they're going to be able to go out there and play that high of a level football game as the Michigan Wolverines. I mean, there was no way I was thinking that. But, I mean, it was just, honestly, to me, I know it ended up being a tight game, 51-45, to 45, but I thought TCU controlled the game Absolutely. most of the game. Um, there were some big plays made by Michigan, but, man, TCU, to me, the story is TCU's defense. Agreed. TCU's defense. You're talking about the biggest plays made in that game. Bud Clark, 41-yard interception return for a touchdown. On and out. On and out. On and out. What? That's Pick, the one that we always get nervous it. of. Honestly, and that's <laughs> Terrence Brooks should have had yep, one of them for he Texas. Should, he should have. And took it right to the house. And it should yep. have been a game. That should have been a game changer for Texas. But I digress. It was just one, just one of them plays. Yep. It was just a, it was a game changer play. Then D. Winters, 29 yard interception return for a touchdown. Two pick sixes. By the way, since 2005, teams who have two pick sixes in the game win 92% of the time. And at one point, I'm thinking to myself, man, if TCU loses a game where they had two pick sixes, that is going to be catastrophic. Right. This is devastating. Um, the other big plays in the game to me, Bud Clark having the goal line fumble recovery. Yep. Ooh. They were that going was, in. Man, that yep. was huge. Um, and then Dylan Horton with the sack on fourth and goal. So you got two goal line stands by the defense where you end up turnover on downs and uh, fumble recovery. So a turnover, getting the ball back on, on both of those. And then you end up with two other uh, uh, interceptions, two other turnovers, but both of those returned four touchdowns. Yep. To me, those are the four biggest plays in the game, and that's all TCU's defense. Bud Clark, two of those. That was, to me, the story, and that's why TCU deserves a ton of credit. Joe Gillespie had a hell of a defensive game plan for uh, Michigan, and Michigan looked early on. They just looked stupefied, and then they finally figured some things out, started putting their uh, their wide receivers in the slot to try to exploit the safeties because they couldn't really get anything on those corners they couldn't on the outside Thomas against Thomas and Norman. They couldn't <laughs> yeah. get anything on those guys, so they decided to put their receivers in the slot, had a lot more success getting big plays, but man, TCU controlled the game with big plays on defense and a running game that was persistent and consistent and give it up for Amari uh, uh, DiMercato. Yep. Cause Stepping when, in. When Kendra Miller went down, by the way, he's from Inglewood, so he's going he's going home to play in the Always National Title game. Always up to no good. Yeah, he's going <laughs> home. He said, he said when he goes out to his uh, the end of his street, he can see the SoFi Stadium where they're going to play. He ended up being clutch. 150 rushing yards, one touchdown versus Michigan. That's a top 10 rush defense, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was 14 rushes for 120 yards in the second half, including that 69-yard run. They controlled the game with the running game, and then they were able defensively to just dial up some great plays, uh, just crucial plays on money downs. 8 of 16 on third down for, for mm-hmm. TCU. 3 yeah. of 13 on third down, and 0 of 2 on on fourth down for Michigan. Those are some of the key stats, too, that kind of kept them out of the game. They couldn't, they couldn't get themselves off the field. I they mean, couldn't. couldn't stay on the field, yeah. and they obviously couldn't get them off 
at 50%, but I'm with you on the running game. You start looking at how they were able, and I love the fact of what you said, the the persistent and consistent approach, even when mm-hmm. Keandre Miller went out, yep. they kept running the ball, they and they running. stayed with their game plan. They did. And that was, a, that was the important factor. And then you take out, you also look at the fact you had two receptions, interceptions for touchdowns, big plays, obviously, but they controlled that game, and I agree with you. They let there was forty eight points scored in I mean excuse me forty four points scored in the third quarter between those two teams. That's crazy. They jumped out in front fourteen to nothing and actually was up twenty one to six at halftime. And you're sitting there watching that game and you're trying to figure out can they hold on to it? I thought the defense played aggressively. I thought Max Duggan played a, a another. Game that people are going to say, well, he wasn't that sharp. And I'm like, y'all weren't watching the same thing that I was watching because dude was sharp. He put the balls on people. They were tipped oh, at the interception. Yeah. One of them was tipped and the other two, I mean, two of them were tipped and the other one was just a bad throw. So you sit there and you start looking at it and you're like, oh, he continues to make plays. And he again, you, 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 and he did it with his legs. Those are the things that I continue to say about Quinn. I know you want to throw the ball, bro. I know it. I get it. That's who you are. But extend the play just a little bit. Get it. Get, get, you did it in the last game. Mm-hmm. But those are things that you should be looking for because you want to live to play another down. That's the thing for me. Just right. play for it. Get through it. And then get another play and we'll be able to throw the ball around again. But I start looking at this game and watch what TCU was able to do. And I think the biggest – Part that um, Michigan, because you said they were struggling in the very beginning, they couldn't figure it out. I think they underestimated them because everything they, they kept did. talking about was Smash Mouth. We're going to smash. Oh, Big 12, they can't do this. Do this. Listen, man, the team fought, fought hard they, all year. They won the line of scrimmage. Exactly. Michigan. Michigan talk all day. Beat their tail. I, I don't think anybody expected they would win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Correct. The way they did against Michigan, but they really did. I thought they'd have to make it a track meet. That's why I said. Yep. They make it a track meet. They can beat Michigan. Michigan's going to try to make it a street fight. Well, they had, they beat Michigan in a street fight. Showed it. 263. Showed it. Right, 263 <laughs> rushing yards for TCU in Michigan. And you brought up Michigan had 186 rushing yards, but you brought up third down, and it was crucial. How about this stat? Michigan averaged 1.8 yards per play on third down. TCU averaged 6.5 yards Think per about play that. on third down. Yeah. That's the game in a nutshell. And you said it. The, said the story coming into it was everybody thought about Michigan's lines. And, again, they saw how impressive they were against Ohio mm-hmm. State, and they saw how they rolled in the uh, Big Ten Championship, yeah. and everybody was like, ah, they're ready. They're poised for it. Let's not forget their head coach, although it's a great year back-to-back seasons, he doesn't do very well in the playoff. Man, I love me some. I like Jim Harbaugh. Everybody yes. knows that who listens to the show. I like Jim Harbaugh, but I remember Craig Way. <laughs> me and Craig Way used to get into some serious debates about some hot sports topics. One of them was he thought Jim Harbaugh was overrated, couldn't win big games. That's and funny. I, and I thought Jim Harbaugh, damn good coach, just give him time and he'll win the big game. I'll admit now, he. I still like Jim Harbaugh, but Craig's take about him not being able to win big games is starting to haunt him a little bit. It's funny that, that you say he, that. He keeps getting brought, to big games but not winning one of them big games. He brought it up today on the show. Him and, him and, oh, uh, did Craig bring it up? Yeah, he did. He said, me and Rod used to have this oh, we conversation we went all the time. Him. And he's right about it. And now he's like, mm. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a, that was a hot take by Craig then, I'll admit. That take, strong today. It's getting, yeah, it seems it's like getting it's getting stronger, stronger by the day. Yeah. I still like me some Jim Harbaugh, and there's some talk that the Texans may be looking at Jim Harbaugh, too. Uh, speaking of, 
one of the takes I had that uh, at the time you know, some people disagreed with about, and Craig too, my strong take that we used to get into it about, Derrick Rose. Yep. I said Derrick Rose was overrated, and Steph Curry was better. At the time, he won the MVP. Everybody said, dude, what? you know what the hell you're talking about. You should not be on radio. You need to shut up and go sit down somewhere. I said, all right. How you like me now? I was like, time, <laughs> time will prove me right that I'm telling you, Derrick Rose, I said he's the most overrated MVP in history, and I said Steph Curry's better. We were like, you crazy. I like it. Yep, turns out. I like it. So, so we went back and forth. There was some strong takes. That was one of my strong takes. But I digress. Getting back to the college football uh, playoff games, I will say that TCU in this game versus Georgia, and I think Georgia's a, I think they open as a 13-point favorite. Is, mm. that, is that it? it was, it's, it's a big line. Yeah, I think it was 13 a, and a half. It was 13 and a half, so yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I ain't giving Georgia enough credit. Man, that's a big number. And... You know, I'm rooting for TCU. I would like TCU to, to to represent the Big 12, even though I know a lot of Longhorn fans hate that. They hate when you root for. Uh, yeah, they do. I root for the I conference and I root for the state. That's I've always done it. I know it's cheesy and people don't like it. It's okay. I mean, we can all we can agree to disagree without being disagreeable. Um, but I I will say that man against Georgia, I I think TCU's got a better shot than Vegas has given them credit for, and Vegas has been wrong about TCU from start to finish. Vegas has never figured out TCU. Uh-huh. Vegas can't. Vegas has been wrong about TCU damn near. Like they had him at six and a half wins from the start, uh, which they obviously blew that out of the water. Uh, maybe they had him right in the Big 12 title game. Maybe they did have him right then. But maybe. Mo- most of the time, they just couldn't figure out TCU. I, I still don't know if they got him figured out as a 13 and a half point underdog to, to Georgia, even though Georgia is a beast. This is a true Cinderella story. Cinderella's don't happen in the college football playoff. You guys Mm-mm. know that there's Bama, it's Clemson, it's Ohio State. It's you know it's usually blue bloods, Georgia, and now you got a, a Cinderella story, the yeah. real. I guess Cincinnati was considered kind of a Cinderella, but man, Cincinnati. Everybody knew Cincinnati was going to be good. Uh, did they year. though? I think they knew. Well, I don't know. They knew they were going to be college football playoff good. Right, right, right. Dude, TCU was considered to be a six and a half. Which they they were picked seventh in the Big Twelve. Very good point. Very Have we had a team that has been, that was picked to that was picked to finish with as few wins as TCU and picked to finish as low as TCU has been picked in their conference and go to the college football playoff? No way. No, it I don't think no so. Damn, I way. don't think so. And the truth is, I don't know if it's going to happen for a while. Considering you're about to expand the playoffs now, and honestly, the truth is, she's going to get more SEC. She's going to get more blue bloods in there. Right. Right. So it's 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 a really really compelling story. It's it's fascinating. Uh, all right, let's get to the other uh, college football playoff games because you had you had some great ones. Uh, Georgia beating Ohio State forty two to forty one. Um, you were really impressed with uh, C.J. Stroud as well as everybody was. else was here. But as a Texans fan, I will tell you because I know the Texans are be thinking about picking C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. I had never really even considered a C.J. Stroud over Bryce Young until I watched them in this game. I, you liked I, it? It was something I was like, oh, no, my, my pick, I'm a Bryce Young guy over a C.J. Stroud guy. After watching C.J. Stroud in this game versus Georgia and the way he carved him up, I'm not going to lie, I, I, I see what – I see how it's possible you could go, oh, no, I'd take C.J. Stroud over Bryce Young because he was excellent. He was yeah. three, 22 or 34, 348 yards, four touchdowns, but it was the way he maneuvered in the pocket, the way he bought time, yes. and some of those throws were absolute dimes. And I will say this, Georgia's defense in the last two games has been an absolute sieve in pass defense. I mean, they've allowed 850 passing yards in the Ooh. last two games. Georgia. 
850 passing yards in the last two games. So if you're TCU and Max Duggan, you got to be licking your chops looking at that number. You have to. I mean, if you start looking at how – because looking at that entire game, you sat there as the game was going on and you're watching each quarter and you're thinking, Ohio State is about to pull this off. They are about to pull it looked this like it. off. Yeah. The way that they were going about it. And then you look at the third quarter where they scored 10 points and it shut out Georgia. And then all of a sudden, both of these Heisman Trophy candidates that ended up in New York, my man Stetson Bennett, who just drives me nuts. You know, you're not a Stetson fan? I'm, I've ne- the dude is old as Lamar Jackson. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He should be he out here playing with kids. He out here <laughs> playing with kids. Oh, but, he still got eligibility. But he does. He He's does. Winning. And he may come back. No, He's... I'm just kidding. <laughs> he may have another one. But I sat there and I kept saying, this is the type of game where he's going to show out. This is the type of game where he is going to show out and everybody's going to question again, man, this dude really is that good. And then you watch what he, what C.J. Stroud was doing, and I'm glad you brought it up because I sit here and I was thinking the exact same game. They did not have a running game during this game. They ran for 119 yards, but they only had 3.7 yards per yeah, carry. You're right. Alabama, I mean Alabama, Georgia was at 5.2 a clip, Mm -hmm. but they couldn't keep running the ball because they had to pass it to try to catch up. Yeah. So it changed the way you looked at it. And Ohio State, my boy Perry Arellano, man, he's from K-Town. He's the defensive backs coach for Ohio State. Oh, okay. And I kept watching him on the sideline, and I I, I was like, K-Town, K-Town, they looking at you. A little bit different, bro. Man. It was something that I was just like, man, I couldn't I couldn't fathom what was happening. But my son was telling me the difference in the game was when Marvin Harrison Jr. got hit on that back line. Yeah, I remember that. The game changed completely. Because yeah. his go-to guy had to change to the wide receiver number two. He started making all the plays. Uh, Ubuka, he was the one that was making all the plays. Mm-hmm. But when Marvin Harrison Jr. went out, the game changed. Change completely. I, I was totally that. impressed with yeah. the way they came out and played, but the game changed once he went out. I totally agree with that because it just uh, it made them easier to defend. Yep. And they had they had like multiple guys you'd have to double team on any given play. When they when he left the game, it made it much easier. You'd have to double team multiple guys on any given play in the passing game. But Georgia controlled the game. This is. Kind of what I've said about you know Texas, Washington, Alamo Bowl. Texas threw for a lot of yards, but Washington, because they were able to run the ball, you control the game when, with the run game. And that's what Georgia was able to do at times was control the game with that running game. Um, and they, man, Georgia averaged 8.8 yards per play. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they yeah. averaged 10 yards per play on first down. They had 11 pass plays at 15-plus yards, 25% big play rate. They just – their offense was so explosive. Even when they got down, <clears throat> excuse me, largest deficit of the season for Georgia, um, man, those the next seven plays for them, they had seven plays, 137 yards, and two touchdowns in three minutes time of possession after they got their – Quick strike, got down baby. Their largest deficit. <laughs> yeah, they really do have the ability to just score fast and they could, to generate explosive plays. Uh, but you combine that with the, the ability to run the football consistently, which they did um, in that offense, man, with Stetson Benny, he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Hard to get him to make a lot of mistakes considering how much football he's played and seen. Um, but the Georgia defense, I hate, it's strange to say this, 
That's what, if I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, that's what I'm worried about the most going into this national title game versus TCU. Oh, for sure. Your passing defense has allowed 850 passing yards in the last two games. And, and TCU's coming in averaging, what, 47 points per game in the last three games. They've been able to score uh, the football really well. And Georgia, uh, I mean, even at LSU game, I mean, that was the game uh, prior to the Ohio State game. Um, they allowed 30 to LSU. Yeah. 41 to Ohio State. That's what I'm saying. It kind of changes the way that they've been uh, looked at here in the passing game yeah. across the board. And you, I thought about what you said just a second ago. Georgia had 533 yards to Ohio State's 467 yards. It's crazy. Ohio State was 4 of 12 on third down. Georgia was 2 of 10 on third down. That's crazy. Yeah, and they won the game. They were saying because it was the only damage was on first down <laughs> right, early on. They right. didn't really do much on third down. They didn't really. I guess they didn't need to and it, to be a clutch on those money downs. It is that was a strange game the way it worked out. And I'm with you. I thought Ohio State had it, I they, was, and they did too. I was sure, they when had they it. lined up for that kick. If you go back and look at the kicker's face, as soon as they went him out, they put him out there. He looked like. I want to be anywhere but right here. Yeah, you're right. He he didn't have that uh, that Justin Tuck. No, he wasn't there. Yeah. He didn't walk out there like Dick or the Kicker <laughs> talking about this yeah. is it for me. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm about to become a legend right here on Bourbon. Oh man, yeah, no. that was uh, that's unfortunate for Ohio State man because I I was sure that they had George Atlanta. Numbers. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I was yep. sure they had uh, Georgia's number, but Georgia ends up uh, pulling out clutch plays in uh, in clutch moments down the stretch, uh, and they win that matchup. So it will be TCU versus Georgia in the national title game. We'll talk some more about that coming up in Rosh Round today. R- uh, real quick, before we get to uh, the break, USC. Let's talk about this really quick, man. Mm-hmm. USC Come on. losing to Tulane, 46-45, but that wasn't the story. The story was a 45-30 lead. With mm-hmm. four and a half minutes left in the game, and somehow USC collapsed. Tulane uh, went 63 yards on two plays, cut the lead to eight points, 45 to 37. Then there's a kickoff return that was bobbled out of bounds at like the two-yard line. Uh, they end up getting a safety as a result <laughs> of, back, uh, of USC being backed up. And then USC has to kick off to them, and then they go down and score the game-winning touchdown to win 46-45. That collapse, and I'll say this, and we talked about this too, Arch. Man, USC, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not joking. I've watched a lot of college football, and you have too. They're one of the worst tackling teams in the country. For for multiple reasons. They really are. For They're, multiple reasons. It is. It's, yes. it's, it's really bad. So I mean, It's horrible. So why is it? I know that. Alex Grinch is supposed to be this guy, right? Yeah. He's been exposed at every level that he's been at. When you think about what he did at Oklahoma when he was the defensive coordinator, they were not very good on the defensive side either. They didn't tackle well either. Mm. And then you bring them out to USC with you, and you're dealing with the same thing. When do you make that decision to get somebody else as a defensive coordinator? Because everybody, the story now is Lincoln Riley doesn't care about defense He's got the offensive side of the ball, and he knows that they're going to put up points. Just imagine if he invests in the defense to the point of, you're, we know what you're going to do on offense. Find somebody to stop them because there would be even better it's numbers. Yeah, um, and you're right. Here's the reputation that, and it's based on these numbers, um, that 
Lincoln Riley is starting to get uh, as a guy who doesn't really care about defense and really is all about offense and wants to win championships um, with an unbalanced, lopsided model. Um, He has now lost six games when holding a lead of at least 14 points since becoming head coach of the Sooners in 2017. That is the most in the FBS in that time span. Doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't make sense. It really does not make sense. During his five-year stand at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley lost a total of 10 games. In those losses, Oklahoma scored 30-plus points eight times, 40-plus on three occasions. Um, That means that only two losses of the 10 occurred with the Sooners scoring less than 30 points. Man, it just doesn't make any sense of all the information that we have right here. You know he has it. And you're not making an adjustment to even act like you want to play some defense. I, I think he's going to make them. I think I think Alex Grinch. I think he'll upgrade over Alex Grinch this offseason. I mean, he has to. Yeah, he has to. I mean, because you go and look at the numbers that they put up, and you just gave them to us. If he all the games that he lost, they were winning. Yeah, it, after eleven and three season at at USC, in two of the three losses for USC, the Trojans scored forty or more points. That, just doesn't make sense. If you score 40 points, you should win the game. You should be winning the game. You, Especially get at one, USC. Get one stop, bro. Especially at get USC. A stop. At Texas Tech, maybe not. Right. Because maybe it's hard for you guys to build a well-rounded you know, model of football personnel issues and you know, uh, lack of development. I get all that. Can't build a great coaching staff, whatever. USC does not. They don't have those same limitations. Not, not so, at all. Yeah, so that's no excuse for them to be as bad as they are on defense. But let me before we go to break because we know we're getting ready to do the uh, Rod's rant of the day. My weekend consisted of Mississippi State covering. How did they cover? I had three and a half. They were crazy? up thirteen to three. I turned the channel. I turned it off because <laughs> I had already I had already conceded to the loss. I turn it back. And I look, I get an alert on my phone that they won nineteen to ten. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, what? It's like a fumble recovery. For yeah, a they, touchdown? Tried to, they did what uh, the Raiders did. Yeah, they did the Raiders play mm-hmm. or, or the New England Patriots. They did that. Yep. I also had um, Tulane plus two and a half going into Ooh. that game. I had them at plus two and a half. I'm like, turn wow. it off. Switch like you. I'm switching. I'm going to something else. Turn back around. I'm like. They're coming back. They're coming that back. Was, They're coming back. That was unbelievable. Right. I couldn't believe that was happening to, to Lincoln Raleigh. To right. Lincoln Raleigh's team. And really the worst play of all of the, the entire meltdown was the kickoff return bobbled out at the two year old. That that to me that was somebody's over there like excusable. And it's like, it, are you serious? And he man? fair caught it. And, That's um, the other thing. He fair caught the ball. He uh, wasn't even gonna try to run it back. Because I think he was going out to the 25. He fair yes, catches it, right? Yes, fair catch it. So he goes out to the 25. Just, just catch it. Then. Just catch it. Oh, man. And then it goes out of bounds. And here's the last that one. That was brutal. So I had under in the Mississippi State game. I had the un- No, the, the Iowa. Okay. Iowa game. I had the under in that. Had the over in LSU. The LSU got the over by themselves. Mm-hmm. Had the over in USC. Got that. Had the over in the Penn State. Utah game, and I wasn't going to get it either until they drove down and scored that last touchdown by by Utah. Because remember, Cam Rising got got hurt, hurt. yeah, and so I I counted that as a loss too. And then boom, hit a five team parlay with the overs and the under. 
Period. Nice. Yeah. Well done. And I was scared on a lot of those. <laughs> hey, man. Living on the edge. Living on the edge because uh, everything came to the end, bro. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> All right. We'll come back. We'll get into Rod's Rather Day. I got a question about TCU playing in the national title game right here on Ball Don't Lie. I wonder if we're not in the horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite. And start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. I want to get into a couple of topics here that relate to uh, TCU making it to the uh, national title game. Congrats to all the Horn Frogs out there. Um, first off... Uh, do want to acknowledge one thing I thought was really cool about the semifinal games um, between Ohio State and Georgia and between um, TCU and Michigan. It does show you as a football theorist how respected uh, the Big 12 is. Or people disrespect the Big 12 and talk a lot of trash about the Big 12. But the systems being run in those, uh, in those games were basically popularized and created in the Big 12. Todd Munkin is an air raid, uh, basically he's kind of an an, an air raid stalker. Uh, But he's not directly from the air raid coaching tree from Mike Leach, but he's always been an air raid enthusiast, if you will. Uh, So as an outsider, but a lot of his concepts are heavy air raid concepts. TCU actually ran the air raid offense, uh, Garrett Riley, who at one point was a backup quarterback for Mike Leach at Texas Tech. And we know that Sonny Dykes coached on that Mike Leach staff and ran his version of the Air Raid, even when he was there at Cal, called it the Bear Raid, and they're still running their version of the Air Raid with Max Duggan. In the Air Raid, although not created in the Big 12, it was popularized in the Big 12 uh, when Mike Leach uh, rose to prominence at Texas Tech and when Oklahoma uh, won the national title with Mark Mangino, I believe, as their O.C., who was also an air raid guy from uh, that Mike Leach tree. And to this day, I believe Oklahoma is still from that 2000 Oklahoma team. And I remember when they changed the Big 12 forever and brought in the air raid. I believe the only offense that ran the true air raid that actually won the the national title. There are teams that still conceptually... And philosophically from the air raid offense, everybody does NFL level or even, you know, the the college level. Everybody's taking bits and pieces from the air raid. You can't avoid that now. It's everywhere. It's like a virus It's infected every L, every part and every level of uh, football at the NFL level and the college level and you're at the high school level. But for teams who actually brag about this is the offense we run, we run the air raid offense um, and to do it at a com- nationally competitive level. Um, we haven't, I don't think, seen that since Oklahoma. And Oklahoma was running the air raid, won the national title in 2000. And since then, yes, it has spread like wildfire across college sports. Uh, but teams don't necessarily run that version of the air raid or anything close to it and play for national titles. Um, Lincoln Riley, of course, played in a lot of college football playoff games, running his version of the air raid. But I think it's pretty cool that TCU um, running that the Leach year, of course, uh, the year that we are celebrating Mike Leach, at least last year, him passing away most recently, still that season of football. Um, is being capped off by a team that's running the air raid. The, a pure version of it, probably the purest version of it in the national title game since the 2000 Oklahoma Sooners uh, won the national title with it. Also, 
um, Jim Knowles, who is the defensive coordinator for Ohio State, running the 3-3-5, three, three, three high, three down. <laughs> um, and so is TCU. And that was a, a defense that was created to defend the air raid. <laughs> it was created to defend the spread concepts. That's the genesis of it. And now TCU running the 3-3-5, three high, three down, Joe Gillespie's version of it. And Ohio State in that game versus um, Georgia, I mean, they were, Jim knows. They hired him uh, because they wanted him to run that three high safety defense that he was running there with Oklahoma State. Uh, you first saw that defense from Oklahoma State prior to even Jim Knowles being there in 2016. It's the first time it's actually spotted the three high, three down. And then, of course, Iowa State, Jim Heacock, he perfects it, cultivates it, um, and then is popularized later all throughout the Big 12, even to the point where Todd Orlando stole the concept as his lightning package. And now it is the defense that Steve Sarkeesian can't figure out, right? It's the three high, three down, and you got, you know, Brent Venables runs his version of it, and teams from the NFL uh, like Todd Bowles um, and you know some uh, uh, and Staley, uh, Brandon Staley from the Chargers. Other teams in the NFL have run their versions of it just to try to discombobulate and confuse NFL quarterbacks because it's a relatively new evolutionary adaptation. So you watch the semifinals and you can't help but give some props or at least say nod of the hat to the Big 12, which in my opinion, I, I've said it time and time again, it has arguably been the best laboratory for experimentation um, in all of college football. Um, it, it, in terms of the ecosystem of the Big 12, uh, it, it is a laboratory of innovation and creativity, has been for years, um, and the ecosystem kind of thrives with more and more innovation. So defensively, one of the most popular concepts that has trickled up, 3-3-5, three, 3-high, three, three, high, three down, that's a Big 12 feature um, and the air raid offense, of course, Mike Leach's baby um, has always been, you know, uh, associated with the Big 12. Wasn't created here, but associated with Big 12 football. And this is what I love about what Sonny Dykes did when he came in, because Sonny Dykes um, studied the Big 12 conference and said, I want to run the two most successful, effective concepts. Uh, and on the offensive side and the defensive side in the Big 12. I'll state the recent history of it, and the most successful offensive concept in Big 12 history is the air raid, some version of it, and the most successful defensive concept is a 3-3-5, three, 3-high, three, three, 3 down, and that was a you know a football theorist uh, of Sun, in, within Sonny Dykes working and deciding, you know what, let's just look at the recent history of what's worked here in the Big 12 and then do our best job based on the data that we collect to predict and project what the best uh, course of action or the best scheme uh, that we should adopt going forward. And it was the air raid in the three, three, five. So I, that's what I love about what I watched and you're going to see it on display because basically TCU is going to be trying to win the national title with those two big 12 schemes, which were mocked by Michigan a little bit. Um, I've been mocked time and time again, but the more people mocked them, the more people just steal those concepts. Mm-hmm. And Michigan kept mocking that the three, three, five isn't physical enough. Well, I mean, they were the more <laughs> physical team this past uh, weekend it wasn't Michigan. Uh, and people always argue the air raid is not a physical brand of football. We know now that's a bunch of hooey. That's, that, that, that's not fact, obviously. Um, <clears throat> that's just rumor and conjecture. 
in people's opinions, uh, you can make the air raid as physical as you want it to be. Uh, that's just based on your mentality and philosophy as a coach. And TCU's version of the air raid is a pretty damn physical one. So Dope. that's what I love about TCU's representation of the Big 12 conference, um, but also of, you know, really Mike Leach's legacy to a certain extent. And uh, give some props to, um, you know, Jim Knowles and Oklahoma State and John Heacock, too, uh, because at three three five, this is now kind of the pinnacle of its um, origin. All right. Well, it came from the Big 12. And now you look at it six, seven years later, you got a team in the national title running that. That concept, which was relatively new, not even ten years old, but that was the that was the one that you kept talking about. It's mm-hmm. the one that freaks everybody out throughout throughout great quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick Mahomes, he's had a problem with it. Yeah, There's, yeah. and then and, and and every time people look at it, it's like, why is that stopping him? It's like because you, you think you have windows and you don't have the windows that yeah. you think you see, and then you become hesitant because you throw one and somebody jumps it. And you're like, wait, he wasn't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked to uh, coaches, and I've I even asked uh, a few of them. I'm like, what makes it so difficult? What makes the three three five? And they were like, this timing, timing of the routes, everywhere you think you're supposed to throw it. It's almost like Sam Darnold. I see ghost. I think that's the spot I'm supposed yep. to throw it at. And then when I do, somebody's making a break on the ball that I normally can get it in that window. And then all of a sudden, they got two guys in that window that I didn't see before. So your your thought process is perfect, mm. and I'm glad to see that you know the three three five and what the physicality that TCU mm-hmm. brought yep. was the point of. I think y'all disrespected them a little bit too much, and we got a chance to see them. Yeah. We saw the battles that they put on all year. Did we think it was going to last this long? Probably not. But they came in and they were in every single ball game. Obviously, that's why they only lost one. And even there. They were an inch away, goal line away from scoring to to win the Big Twelve. Yeah, no, it is. It, it's a and the three five is a hybrid defense for yep. hybrid players, which also fit into Gary Patterson's philosophy too yep. with those hybrid guys. So it's, I guess, I think it's a culmination of you know these uh, these schemes now kind of hitting uh, their point, being popular and now spreading, um, trickling up, if you will. But I do think that a TCU their schematic advantage is one that has its roots deep in the Big 12. So I think it's pretty cool. And now the Big 12, got to give props. This is a good time for the Big 12 considering. Yeah, what's going to happen in a minute? Well, yeah, I mean, TCU <laughs> yeah, still yeah. staying in the Big 12. Oklahoma and uh, Texas are leaving, but you got a representative in the national title, and the Big 12 hasn't won a national title since Texas uh, last won a national title, and they – haven't you know really been represented in the college football? I was going to say, wasn't Texas ever. the last one to play in the Big Twelve? Yeah, no, you are, Colt, you Colt, yeah, they last one. That was it. Yeah, you're right about that's that. That's why Anthony Williams said what he said. Last one to win. <laughs> last one to win. Yeah, no, yeah, that's no question about yeah. that too. So uh, I like what TCU's doing, um, and um, I will say this, and we'll get into this conversation maybe a little bit later. I guess we maybe we can pick it up next segment. Is TCU winning? a national title or even playing for a national title bad for Texas football? That's the question that I have. Is it a, is it a, is this a bad thing for Texas that TCU in state, of course, a state rival and a big conference rival um, is also playing in the national title game. First year for Sonny Dykes. Good or bad thing for Texas. Hold that thought. Five and seven last year. Don't forget that. (laughs) Fired their coach. 
Very true. Uh, we'll come back and discuss that on the other side, right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful nine hundred. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a top of the charts Tuesday. We play jams to reach the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. Uh, throughout the question at the end of the Rods round today, TCU playing in the national title game, and maybe they'll win the national title. Who knows? They definitely got a shot. Is it good or bad for Texas? CB says TCU playing for a national championship. Added to the very long list of things that are bad for Texas during this darkest era in Texas history. Um, Nate says it is not bad for Texas. A team like TCU tried so hard to catch up with Texas. It looks bad on Texas because they still look from outside that they must just be living on brand name and money in their country cup while TCU, Tech, Baylor, etc. are hungry for that life. Um Someone says, yes, it is going to be bad for Texas as far as the recruiting and the transfer portal. Okay, I, I'm going to take the devil's advocate side because I agree with most of y'all that it's probably not good for Texas that TCU is playing a national title game. But I root for the state and I root for the conference. Here's why it, it should be spend as, spent as a positive for Texas. Like you can spin it that way. I remember when Mac Brown first came in, there was a lot of pressure on Mac. Because early on, people forget this, A&M won the Big 12 title, like Max first year. Uh, like A&M was balling, won the Big 12 title that yep. year, wrecking crew. What was that, doing Sir Parker? Uh, I forget I think what it was, that Sir is. Parker. Yeah, but that was, it was Michael early Bishop yeah, that they were playing. Early, early on that year. Um, sorry, that early on the Max tenure, I should say. Then, like two years later, a second year Bob Stoops wins the national title at your other rival. <laughs> so yeah. your first year, Aggies win the uh, win the conference. Yeah, that's your in-state rival, and then your national rival. And when two years, some brash Bob Stoops comes along, brings in the air raid offense, and wins the national title in his second year. Longhorn fans were losing it. Mm. They didn't give a damn about them them nine wins <laughs> and Ricky Williams Heisman anymore. They were like, "Oh the hell!" Because Max still bought himself a lot of uh, you know, kind of street, street cred, cred yeah. and he bought himself to me a lot of clout and capital, if you will, because he kept Ricky here, won the Heisman, and then had some big wins, like over Nebraska early on in his tenure, first year, had yep. some big signature wins. But to Longhorns fans, they didn't give a damn about none of that when. Oklahoma wins the national title in his second year with Bob Stoops. Right. So that put a ton of pressure on Mac, but honestly, it brought out the best in Mac. I always said, you know, Mac Brown basically, you know, Batman needs a Joker. Bob Stoops was, was you know, Mac Brown's Joker. Yep. All right. And it, Mac Brown would never be a college football Hall of Famer if not for Bob Stoops because he had something to chase. He needed, if not, honestly, if he didn't meet the standard and create a new standard and become a prisoner of his own excellence, double-digit win seasons, nine seasons in a row, he, he, he never, in my opinion, is pushed to do that, and the standard isn't pushed to the standard to, to where it was um, and pushed even higher because of all the success he had if Bob Stoops isn't balling out of control there with Oklahoma. And, and because because big game Bob, where sales sooner fans are upset with him for not winning more big games, exactly. Longhorn fans are upset with Mac for not beating Bob Stoops more and not winning more big games. So it, it, that and pressure, Bob got a lot of grace because he kept beating Texas. He kept beating Texas. Yeah, so he was and, like, well, and that we're good. pressure. I remember Mac during his time, guys. Early on, it brought out the best in Mac. It aged Mac, 
He's aged in presidential years and dog years, essentially, but it brought out the best in him. And the hope is that if Steve Sarkeesian is the man, if he's the, if he's the guy, that the success of you know an in-state rival like a TCU will only – yes, it's going to put pressure on him, but that pressure will bring out the best in him. And right now, he's just an above-average coach, but he gets pressure from – you know. In-state rivals and from, you know, maybe Oklahoma picks it up. Going to the SEC, that's a big move, and that brings out the best in him. But if he's not the right coach for Texas, yep. he'll fold under pressure and then we'll end up moving on anyway. But if he's the, if he's the right guy, it'll bring out the best in him. It, well, it really will. And that's the biggest part for everyone to be looking at. Everybody's trying to figure out what's next for Texas. And, you know, there was a stat that came out talking about TCU, and I know we got to go to break. But Power Five teams that changed conferences since 2000, TCU to the Big 12, they have a conference championship. They have uh, 26 draft picks, five first-rounders. They're 4-2 and two in bowl games, and they have a 7-3 and three record against Texas, Baylor, and a 7-2 and two record against SMU. Mm-hmm. So they, here they are continuing to trend. And because here's the deal, too, there wasn't that pressure. For TCU. Yep. Gary Patterson's got a statue out there. He was winning ball games. They were happy. They were beating Texas, another one. Regardless of what everybody thinks, you beat Texas, it keeps you around a little bit longer. Oh, yeah, dude. It gives you a little bit more, no like you said, street cred. Mm-hmm. But the fact remains is a coach that came in, regardless of the players that were there, you talked about it at the very beginning of the season. Uh, Max Duggan's not going to be the starting quarterback. It's going to be Chandler Moore. He wasn't. And he was not the starter. Mm-hmm. But, he, but he got coached up. Things up. got changed. And they ended he up He definitely playing. was the better quarterback for him. For I sure. can't imagine Chandler Moore <laughs> doing a better job. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think Chandler Morris would have been in New York. No. The way my man was balling I don't out. Think so so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this and the heat is definitely on. Let's put it like that. Yeah. The heat is turned up. No doubt. Regardless about an eight and five because it could have been nine and four. It's still ain't in the Big 12 championship game, and you're not in a New Year's Six game. Yep. So there's a lot that needs to happen here quickly. It happens, it happens to every coach at Texas. It happened to, to Tom Herman, too. Remember, for Tom Herman, first of all, it's Lincoln Riley came around the same damn time. Yeah. And Lincoln Riley <laughs> lost, what, 10 games at Oklahoma? Total. Is it total? <laughs> yeah. Is it yeah. entire time there, something weird like that? Yeah. But then also happened to Tom Herman was the Matt Rule thing. Yeah. That Baylor, yeah, that was see that was another in-state that was route. It was like pop. people were like, whoa, 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 yep. they look like they're in better shape than Texas is. Didn't they start at the same time? Didn't Baylor have a scandal exactly. to get over? And then it's like, ah, so didn't they, they hire a coach they, to fire a coach? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the, the Longhorn fans always have you know the on the periphery, if you will. They have the the pressure of what's the other institution in Texas doing or the other institutions in Texas or other programs and what's going on with the rivals. So Sark didn't have to deal with the rivals right now, but like I said, Tom Herman, he had to deal with, like I said, Baylor coming up and then Lincoln Raleigh at Oklahoma. And I remember what really for Mac Brown, it was also the pressure of fans looking at other programs around state but also around the country and remember the end of his tenure, he was being ridiculed and criticized because the Shakespearean irony of Texas, the state becoming the quarterback factory that it was, mm-hmm. held Austin becoming the, the best uh, quarterback developing city in the country, arguably between Westlake and Lake Travis and Texas, the marquee. All right, you're talking about the, the, the marquee flagship university for the state of Texas couldn't find the quarterback? Right. And yet... 
RG3 was winning Heisman. Come and on, Johnny man. Manziel was winning Heisman for other state programs. That ultimately is what led to Max downfall because everybody says to themselves, how is that possible? Yep. And it, it led to more and more negative criticism. So that's always going to be that outside pressure. Your hope is that it like that pressure turns your your charcoal of a coach into a diamond. Bing, bing. You know I, mean? I want to shine bright like a diamond. Shine dog. bright like a we diamond. We need it. We need yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll come back. We may be more of that discussion. Cowboys still got a chance to win the division. We'll also talk about DeMar <laughs> Hamlin's <laughs> critical condition as well. We'll get into that and some of the other uh, more sobering topics right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn.